This episode is brought to you by TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com is your all access to culture. Check out cultural merchandise like leggings, hats, mini boxing gloves, and bags. Also, t shirts like hip hop, nature, rock bands, reggae, and dark fantasy. Fast shipping worldwide. That's TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com. Now, let's check out this episode. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another. Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report Podcast. And today, we have a really, really, really special guest in the building. Listen, this man is a distinguished band leader, songwriter, solo artist, music producer, and arranger, and the inventor of art, rhythm, and pop. Listen, this man has over three decades in the music business. He signed to five major labels. He's been in the Guinness Book of World Records. You know we have in the building today? We have Mr. Jack Raddick in the building today. What's going on, Big Boss? Oh, Muscle, what an intro. <laughs> All is well. Um, let love reign and let Jabba pray. Nice to be in the building. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the Entertainment Report podcast today. Okay, well, it's a pleasure to be on the, the ER podcast. All right. Thank you. On this podcast, we like to go right from the beginning and then bring it right up to 2021. So my first question for you is this. Where do you grow up in Jamaica and what type of child were you? <laughs> well, I grew up in Kingston 6 in Ligani in, 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 in Jamaica. And um, my folks will tell you that I was a problem child because um, I was an opinionated so-and-so and yeah you always i guess you were also inquisitive you always wanted to know exactly 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 because always you know every time i get sent to the headmaster he would say you again and i'd say sir why am i here to learn or to be taught and he would say go to your class <laughs> i hear that okay so then now you're growing up in ligony and stuff you're in inquisitive child what did you think you were going to be growing up what type of field do you think you're going to get into well, I actually wanted to be an aeronautical engineer because, you know, I love engines and the mechanics of, of things in life. I mean, I never envisioned music. That was not... So then, okay, so then when did music start to creep into your life? When did you discover your voice? Say, hey, I could do something with this here. Well, I always, I, I always had to sing in a school, church, what? To the point where it would get on my nerves because when I walk here, my girl go matinee, the matinee go rehearsal and all kind of sitting. <laughs> but, um, you know, my friends wouldn't leave me alone saying we should start a band, blah, 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 blah. And so um, it more or less just, um, it found me, it took me, music took me. Let's say that music took me. Mm-hmm. And at what point in your life did this music creep into your life and take you away? In my, I would say, middle to late teens. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, yeah. Mid to late teens. And what were you doing when it crept into your life? Were, did you hear other people in the area? You were listening to other musicians? What was it where you said it crept into your life and took over? Well, I actually... I had migrated, I had moved to the Bahamas for a, a, a bit and I was working as a mechanic mm-hmm. in a gas station and I met a girl who took me to Freeport, Bahama. And um, because I'm not a gambling man, you know, the casino never really, um, really appealed to me, but I heard some music playing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I followed my ears around the corner and there was this band playing Waiting in Vain, the Bob Marley song. And they were actually slaughtering the dread song. And I had said, hello, what are you doing? The song is in A minor. And the guy said, well, since you know so much, why you don't come sing it then? So I took the microphone and I sang it. <laughs> and I sang from Waiting in Vain to Strangers in the Night. And the manager came and said, boy, you want a job as a singer? And I said, yes, and that was. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. So it was actually like a mishap. So you understood the keys of music from before then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I I was, you know, lead tenor in my school choir and all of these things and all of these things. I mean, like I said, um, you know, I was, I felt like I was being forced 
into music and um if you want jack ready to do something you tell him it's all right you have to do it but if you tell me how to do it we have troubles so it was one of them kind of scenarios one of those here okay so then you sang for the band so then what was the next move were you permanent with this band now in bahamas i was there for a while my, my girl was not a music because she had to leave me down in freeport but um i sang there for a while and then um you know they started wanting me to do you know the kind of yellow bird you know <laughs> touristing and that wasn't too appealing so i left and i I came back home and on the way back home, I went to Miami and I bought a whole band and I brought it back home with me and I told my friends, all right, everybody's always saying we should start a band. Well, here's a band. Let's go. And, and yeah, that was that. And what was, what was the name of that band or this was just a band you guys were just fooling around that with? The band was called Roots Rock Radix originally. Okay. Not Roots Radix, let's not be confused. <laughs> So what were you guys moves? Did you guys go start to play in the areas, get into recording studios? What were your next moves now that you have this band together? Well, um, well naturally the, the North Coast, because you know the hotel is, is like the university, it's the musical university in Jamaica. That's where everybody gets to own them chops, you know, so big. We went to the North Coast and that's what, um, you know, mushroom from one thing led to another and then I ended up in Germany and then yeah what that's you're taking me way back now most like way back <laughs> and what year are we talking about here what what year did you get back to Jamaica and form the band 1980 1980 yeah but it's happening 79 79 yeah so 1980 I was back in Jamaica, formed a band. Um, by 81, we was getting some regular gigs, you know, in the hotel circuitry, between Moby and Hochi and blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. So how did you end up in Germany then? Well, I met a German guy in Montego Bay at one of our gigs who said, um, he likes the band, but he can't afford to take us there. But if we ever get there, here's his card. We should call him. So I I got there. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, um, it was so funny. I had this Air Jamaica girlfriend who, you know, Air Jamaica used to fly Kingston, London, Frankfurt, and back. And so um I was in Frankfurt with my girlfriend in a hotel, and she said to me, oh, there's a, a bistro in a little um, pub thingy on the 17th floor. Let's go up there. So I went up there, Muscle, and would you believe that there was a one-man band playing some music, and it turned out to be the same exact German guy. <laughs> God, can you believe that? <laughs> that's, that's wild right there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these things are, this is like, like a fated experience, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's what happened. And I ended up with Horace, his name was Horace. And we, we did a lot of things in and around Germany. And his brother-in-law owned some clubs in Bulgaria, in, in Sofia. So we ended up in Sofia. This was before the Berlin Wall came down and all of that. So, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And what type of music were you singing back then? Reggae. <laughs> mm -hmm. Reggae, 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 reggae. Because what happened is I had a, a two-track tape with Studio One and Treasure Isle readings that I would walk with. And so I would just string up my two-track tape and I have my AKG mic and sing tune. <laughs> <laughs> what type of who was it more original or covers you were singing at this time here? Mostly covers, yeah, mostly covers. Mm -hmm. Who was what was big in Germany at that time? Who was big? Was it more Bob Marley or what type of song were you covering then? Um, well, I was covering mostly American music, you know, from Lou Ross to you know, um, OJ's blah blah blah, that sort of a thing. Um. Bob Marley was popular, but it was more like Bonnie M and stuff like that. Donna Summer and you know those were the popular 
things up with time. Mm -hmm. So you're there now, because remember, we just started, and from now, you went from Jamaica, you were in Bahamas for a bit, you stopped in Miami, you got your instrument, then you went to Germany. So you're traveling, and this is before you even got your big break. You're just all over the place right now. Exactly, because, you know, I, I, I'm a hind, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of nothing. That's why I'm a radics. Mm -hmm. Got you. You know what? Before I even get to my next question, how did you get your name, Jack Radix? Well, I, I got it from school days. I mean, Radix, they, I was dubbed radical at school because I used to get the most detention. So that's how the name came about, Radix. And um, the Jack, just, you know, I, I, I did a lot of things. So people always say, Jack of all trade and master. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be the rebel in your family. If you have brothers and sisters, I'm almost positive you're the rebel out of everybody. I am. I am. I absolutely without a doubt about that. No question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I, could definitely see that. Own that a hundred percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So you got your name from school days in Germany. Now, when was the first time you actually got into a studio to record that? Well, the first time I actually got into a studio was I had come back home to Jamaica and Valerie Cohen, who was Tommy Cohen's ex-wife, well, the late Valerie Cohen, who was my dear friend, and she actually took me to the studio and I recorded... Um, you know, there was this rhythm, um, she boxing over there, and she boxing over there. You know that rhythm there? <laughs> so um, I had recorded, um, how you gonna do it if you really don't wanna dance? By standing on the wall, you get your back up, Paul. So that was my very, actually, very first actual recording. Mm -hmm. My father's grateful label. So, yeah. That was my very first time in the studio. And that was, do you remember what year that song came out? That was 1981, early 81. 81. Okay. And how did that do for your career? Did it start to make any traction or how did it do? Um, not really because, um, you know, the thing is, the, the, the music business in Jamaica is essentially a downtown thing, you know, and I'm an uptown youth, so. When I used to go to students, them see me, they must say, hey, Curly, you're up to boy. What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> them would always run away. You know what I'm saying? And I remember Henry John Jalaz, the late, great Henry John Jalaz, he said to me one day, he said, Indian, come and let me tell you something. Up here, them no mind. Them not understand where you are. But you see where you are, don't stop because they must say they were dead anytime it catch. I remember him saying that to me. And so, um, yeah, it took me a good little while because I actually ended up going to England because mm -hmm. I had a cousin who, there was a band in, in, in London called the Simmerans. And the Simmerans was, was the band, the backing band that back. All of the Jamaican artists when them came up from John Wood to, to Ken Wood to Wood. And my cousin Frank played bass in that band. So mm -hmm. I remember thinking, when I did my research, I realized that England was really the marketplace for the music, you know, because no matter what we do, it, it, it was aimed at England. So I went to England. When I got to England, mostly, only to find out that if the product never said made in Jamaica, nobody never won. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, to this day, people are making product in New York and London and it's saying made in Jamaica, but that mm. So, um, but what happened was I would here and there get a little chance to sing a song on one of those shows. And the very same producer who used to run me, I said, wait, in there, you the voice and then, oh, in the voice and nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, boy, man. So, yeah. So who was the first big producer that you got to actually start to record for? Well, big producer. Hmm. Well, I, I guess I would have to give Donovan Jermaine from Pentos that credit because I had spent most of the 80s in, in, in the UK, you know, I'm doing a lot of live work and stuff and stuff. 
and then I came home in back home in '89, and um, I was doing some work down by IRFM before the radio station at Grove Broadcasting, and then um, I had sang Dream Merchant, which was, by the way, was the very first song played on IRFM. Okay. Because that was, you had done it for Barry O'Hare? Right, Barry O'Hare and Stephen Stewart, correct, um, was the production entity because it was actually Stephen Stewart. Barry was Stephen's actual apprentice at the time. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Young, the owner of IRFM, he owned the Great House, and there was a thing that he used to do called Bono Nunus. Now, he had seven VW vans with seven bands, that drove out and that great was seven nights a week to seven different hotels. Now, I was the singer of one of those bands, right? So when they started the radio station now, the day that they um, called an intercom downstairs, in the, because studio existed before the radio station. Okay. So they was down to the studio to say, send up something because I'm ready to test the transmission. And we sent up the that of Dream Merchant, which we just, just mixed. Right, so that that took off, but um, of course, being IRFM and, and new and you know IJR and JBC, them no one know about it. So um, yeah, so but that sort of set the tone, and so um, I went back to Kingston, and I don't know how I got hooked up with Pentos, but but I did, and then I did this time I'll be sweeter and okay. Before we even go into Penthouse, there's one thing that you did, and I think this was 87 with Mango Records called Rough Life. Ah, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. My very first record deal I got in England, in London, with Mango, right? And Rough Life was the first single of that because I was actually driving a minicab in London at the time. And mm -hmm. I had a, you know, I would always making money for demos. And I remember I was. I picked up this guy one night and I was playing Malika demo real low, but he was in the back and he said to me, Kenny, what's that? Turn it up. So I turned it up. So he goes, what's this? And I said, oh, some guy named Jack Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> so he said to me, when I dropped him off, he gave me his card and said, so you know him? I said, yeah, I know him. So he gave me his card and he said, um, find your friend and give him my card and tell him to be in touch. So this was like a Friday evening. So the Monday I called him, I said, I found a guy. You know, um, so he said, all right, come back Wednesday, 3 o'clock. So Wednesday, 3 o'clock, I went. He goes, ah, Kevin. So where's the guy? I said, you're looking at him, but today I am Jack Radix. Friday I was a cab driver. <laughs> he confused here. <laughs> and so the deal went down. Um, yeah. So that was my first deal with, with Island Records. And Rough Life, Rough Life and You've Got was the B-side who actually featured in a movie that Trevor Roan mm -hmm. was Canada-based um, was the producer of. And, uh, because you actually produced that song. I did. I did, yes. I was the producer. Um, and Ty was, the great Tyrone Downey was the musician on that for me. Was that your first time producing yourself or producing something? I, I, you could say that, yes. <laughs> What may, okay, I know you're radical, but what went into your mind to say, you know what, I could try producers, I could put this project together? Well, um, basically it was just necessity because, you know, I got this deal, you know, just by a fated experience. And, you know, um, I just did what I had to do, basically, because, um, you know, while I, you know, um, over the decades I've, learn to manipulate certain instruments but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i'm a musician per se but i could always tell a musician what to play with my mouth mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so basically i knew i know what i want to hear you know I, when i when i conceive a song you know, i hear the finished product playing in my head in the muscle mm -hmm. you know I hear everything. I hear the whole thing. I don't know how to explain that, but I hear I hear the record playing in my head. You know, I hear every riff, every guitar, like every I hear it. So I basically just, you know, because we're radics and we don't afraid, we just got it. 
just like that. I hear you. All right. How did how did that deal work out with um Island slash Mango at that time there for you? Well, you know, um it was it was coming along and then um Bobby McFarren did a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Now I was writing, you know, my island album was was about original material, yeah? So I was writing songs like War of Emotion and yeah, Rough Life and, you know, so the managing director of Ireland at the time, his name was Clyde Banks, he went to America and heard, of, heard um, Don't Worry, Be Happy, and he came back and he goes, Radix, I have the perfect song for you to launch your career. So when he played it for me, I hear, and I'm saying, Clyde Banks, get serious. <laughs> you know? So he goes, you don't worry, you just be happy and sing this goddamn song, right? So I was not, I was not amused, much to tell you that. I mean, I respect to his vision because Don't Worry Be Happy was a monster hit. But um, I, also at the time I'm saying, but the song is current, you know, you don't cover something that's currently happening, you know? I mean, I'm, to me, in my head, I'm saying, give the man a chance with him song, man. You know, why, why, why do I want to? jump on this man's wagon, you know, when I have, but, um, so yeah, he was, um, he was a bit perturbed that I didn't want to do the song. I was more than perturbed that he wanted me to do the song. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so the deal sort of went south from then and from that point on. And so that's when I came back home. I thought, you know what, I'm going home. So that's when I came back home and, um, yeah. Then all the other stuff happened. Okay, and then this is where you met Donovan Germain. So then when you got to Penthouse now, do you remember which other artist was in this camp? Were you recording exclusively as a Penthouse artist, or you just did some songs for Germain? I just did some songs because um, I don't remember exactly how I got to Penthouse, but I know that, um, you know, it was Sanchez and Buju and Wayne Wonder and because it was a juggling in the Browning. Mm -hmm. You know, blah, blah, blah. It was that juggling that was going on. And so, um, you know, I just went in there, I heard the rhythm, and I, in my head, I just heard, darling, can't you see? So when I sang that, you know, the whole studio catch a fire like blood fire. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that basically, kick-started the whole machinery, more or less. Right there. So then after there, because you did couple hits well with um, Pentos, but then this is where you started to really go around. This is where Bobby Digital, this is where Steely and Cleavy, this is where Shocking Vibes, this is where Taxi, all of them came in. So I just want to go through a bit of each of them to see how you even connected with somebody like a Bobby Digital. Well, you know, um, that's the way it is, you know, if something is happening, everybody want peace and action, yeah? So um, I I think it was Dalton Brownie. Somebody took me to Bobby and said to me, somebody said, boy, we need to go check Bobby Vincent. So I went to Bobby. No, actually it was Steely because, all right, Lloyd Stanbury was my manager at the time. Lloyd Stanbury also managed Steely and Cleavy. Garnet Sink, Half Pint, a um, couple other people, Michigan and Smiley, Michael Rose, I can't remember the, 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 the roster, but yeah. So Steely and Cleavy, we were basically in the same camp. So it was Steely that took me around to Bobby because Steely and Cleavy used to make rhythm for jammies. Mm -hmm. Right now, Bobby Digital was jammies engineer before him having won a situation, so they, they had that. So Steely took me around to Bobby, and Bobby said to me, they made, they want me sing over moving away. So Steely made the rhythm, and I did um, deep down inside of me. Because when I when them say they want me sing that, I may say, all right, Ken Buta is one of my inspiration as a voice, you know, because even, you know, even growing up, people like Eddie Kendricks, but me, I love David Ruffin, man, because, you know, I am thinking, 
a man should sound like a man, especially when he might talk to a woman. None of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, no disrespect to anyone and a father. I love a father, but yeah, you know. Um, my wish, sunshine, blue sky, please. I mean, David Ruffin, I mean, Jesus. If they're, to me, that's the, the wickedest singer ever come out of Vagina. David Ruffin, that's right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you got it like that. Talking about that same rhythm, they're moving away. This was when Garnet Silk had a song on the same rhythm. Do you ever interact with Garnet Silk? Because you guys were between Roof, Bobby Digital, Steely, and Cleavis. I'm a friend, man. We spent a good while under the lime tree around a mixing lab. A weird pan Steely and Cleavis. <laughs> you know, I actually took Garnet to Roof because Courtney Cole and my, my sister used to go to Clarendon College and she used to board with Courtney Cole's parents. So I knew Courtney from way back, long time did. So, you know, yeah. So Garnet and I had a really nice, you know, um, I, at the time I used to have a CB 200 that, that I ride. So I would go pick up Garnet, run a 200 every yard over Pembroke and drop him home at night time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, it may not have two shung peng with no smoke. It may not have lunch money, we don't eat. So, you know, it was one of them scenarios. But, yeah, wow. Talk about gone too soon. Yeah. The great, great garden silk there. Steely and Cleavy, was Love Guaranteed, was that the first song you recorded for them or that was the first hit you got for them? That was the first song them put out because, you want know, Steely was all about DJing. Mm-hmm. Um, many a time, is in the night, after Steely gone, Cleavy, would I draw in me and Garnet and we sing a one tune here and there because you know Steely Steely would have spent all right, Mrs. Steely spent two day advice a DJ named Penny Harry on a tune and say, sit in a shimout and she not take it out. Boy, you have to do it. <laughs> right? A Steely that you understand. So he never had nothing with me as singer, a, a DJ in, in a so it was TV that actually used to pay us singers the command. So, yeah, it was one of them tonight. So, um, Reggie Stepper, no, he's a barbican youth. Reggie Stepper is a barbican youth. Steely is a barbican youth. And so that is how the beloved guarantee connection came about because, you know, um, Reggie Stepper, me see Reggie Stepper down on the studio. And I said, wait, what I'm ready for So, same time, me I said, I had this idea in my head. It's guarantee. Loving when she got no need, no warrant. So that was actually me. So I suggested that to Reggie, right? And so when Steely draw the rhythm, the first thing that come into my head was, you have caught me, baby. And yeah, <laughs> the rest is basically our story. Like that. Okay, so then you had recorded other songs, but that was the first one that they had actually put out for you guys, for you. Exactly, yeah. Because even even Unchained, mm-hmm. The Baba and the Song. You know, long we have that song, the record, I'm gonna sing um, in tune, Panda Rhythm Metal, Love is the Answer. And that, it was, it wasn't after, it went till Garnet died that them actually put out that song. And I recorded that song long before till even Bobby record Sanchez, I do a version of that song. Mm-hmm. Long after, oh, I won the Panda Tape Road and not for man, I think, say, Sanchez is singing the tune and me singing it over when they never know it's the other way around. This is why we like to have these conversations, these long form conversations, because there's so many things in the business that we just hear the end product. We don't know nothing about how it came around. The, these stories are always so interesting to all of us. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it is the way it is because, as we say, you know, um, you know, um, but yeah. What is important is that at some point these works see the light of the because you know Bob Andy, God rest him wonderful soul, to me is one of the the most prolific songwriters Jamaica has ever produced. Mm-hmm. Bob Andy is like wow. I remember when I met Bob Andy Muscle, I had a groupy moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it. And he's, you know what? He said to me, wow, my youth, come here. I appreciate 
you, you sing the song like how me wish me could have sing it. He said that to me, you know, and that was very, that moved me profoundly, you know, because, you know, I am thinking, here, you, here is a song that is saying, ooh, I want to help myself, you know. So it needs conviction muscle, you know what I'm saying? Instead of, you know, um, you know, Bob and is a nice quiet team bridging, and so in sing the song with the same disposition, but a song like that require that impassion next day, you know? Yeah, so that's what I did. And yeah, up to today, um, if we go somewhere, I mean, I, I perform and I sing a song that people fling things up for me. Yeah, no, that's that's a big one. I remember all these songs that we're talking about came out between, I think this was between this 92 and 94 period. You were yeah. you had a million songs out at this time here. You were recording for the top of the top of the top producers, putting out hit after hit after hit. Another Bobby Digital song that you did. Yeah. <laughs> another Bobby Digital song you did was in the ghetto. How did you come up with that and why did you guys decide to put that on the chim cherry at that time there? Well, um muscle back in the day. All me know is me have mixing lab nine o'clock, Bobby Digital ten o'clock, Uncle eleven o'clock, shocking wives twelve o'clock, penthouse one o'clock. That's all me know, yeah. I don't know which rhythm, no nothing till I get to the studio, yeah? Mm -hmm. And my thing is, when I get to the studio, me just link to the rhythm. By the time I don't build my split fan light, the rhythm tell me where to sing. Make, make, make me don't know how else to put it, other than that, because that's exactly what it happens. So when me hear the chin chair, for instance, I'm hearing in my head was, I was born and raised, and so that's what we sing, right? From from my mouth, the studio beat up, beat up, beat up, and me say, I come with come with voice before me forget when me to sing the man. So yeah, it was one of them. It was um ninety percent of the material that I recorded in that period of time happened just like that, just like that. One and two is, you know, when you, you would, I would do an original material and then when the product come out, the producer, I, I claim the publishing and I say, oh, or the printer and the label thing. So I deliberately decided, okay, I deliberately was just covering songs in order to keep my publishing intact because if the man them want to claim off your publishing, you know, and, and, and the publishing is the pension. Remember, I said, mm -hmm. this is a self-employed business, you know. If you get a gold watch at, at age 65, you have to buy it for yourself. Okay, so then that was intentional because at this, again, this 92 to 93, four time was a lot of, it was basically 90%, 95% covers you were singing at this time. Yeah, because I, I wanted to establish... The artist, but I couldn't give away give away the publishing, so I deliberately was covering some deliberate covering some. Mm -hmm. One other one other company you brought up here was Shocking Vibes. All right, and another big song you got from them was Everybody Plays a Fool. How do you connect with Shocking Vibes now, too? Well, um, Anchor, Pentos, and Shocking Vibes all in the same complex. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I did. This time I be sweeter and yeah, I remember something else. Um, Patrick then sent over and, and sent to me and said, because actually the first time we sing with Shocking Vibe was once my life was just because I remember Tiger, actually, it was Tiger, Tiger, because Tiger come from Ligani, like we said. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Tiger came to my house one morning, like 10 o'clock, 9 the morning, and I said, Tatics, because I knew that he called me Tatics. He must have tactics, put on your clothes and come to the car. I can buy down in the world. Then, so me said to him, say, go on and come, and me, me, me come. He said, mm -hmm. <laughs> come in, I bet, no. <laughs> so, muscle. When me reach them, I shock it by them, and the man, I'm up here. I'm here. Kitty, kitty. I said, hey, Tiger, I need to make my boat on my bed. I want to grow with you. The man said, yo, try to find sitting and sing, because I'm the world, what have I watched there? No, who take man for? <laughs> and that was so. What happened was that song was set my heart on fire, rock the boat, 
that we splice up together and make one song out of. Now I remember saying to Patrick, say, Patrick, give me the reading pan and cassette there and make me go and go do some homework and by Wednesday me come near up something proper. By the same Monday afternoon, me hear this song from IRFM, harmony up and everything. You said my heart and so when we can't say why singer you can't turn there. Murder. <laughs> yeah, it was that. And then no, that led to everybody plays the fool and blah blah blah. So yeah. Crazy. Let me take you back to England now. This is when you did a production for Bunny Lila. This was another big one here. Sexy thing. Wow. Yeah. Well, actually, that song we recorded in Jamaica because same things. Lila, I come with me. I'm a bed one morning, about seeing eight o'clock one morning because he, he, he say he might go away in the evening and fly. And Sly just getting ready me and tell him, say, find Jack Reddix. Jack Reddix to sing on that with me. So just like with the, the shocking vibes, set my heart on fire song, you know, I was pissed off coming and say, yo, at least you come with me out of my bed for them all gloomy man. <laughs> so when we go down, uh, where did we record that song? Down at Penthouse, correct, yeah. And so me just sing, oh my God, I believe in miracles. So the whole time me I sing, me, me piss off, come and go back to my bed. <laughs> Where are you from? Because if you, I don't know, if you listen to that, well, maybe only me would have known, say. I'm a piss off when me I sing that song. It, there, was a, there was a venom that came with that, you know, that even to the day, me have some go-go world on an England thing, man. I, yeah, I feel them song that them are every time go around. <laughs> them want to hear off all my clothes. <laughs> but, wicked, wicked, wicked. So, yeah. Bonnie lie, lie, man. Wow. Yeah, because I guess you're you were red hot in Jamaica, and I guess when you went away, because you did other recordings for um Black Adred Coxon, um, you did stuff for a whole heap Saxon, you did a lot of stuff for English producers at that time too. Your discography extends in my you do your homework, man. This is my job, sir. Okay, sir. Aye, aye sir. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> That means a lot, especially coming from somebody like you that done so much. Now, this is the period that completely changes your life and put your life in a completely different direction. How do you connect with Sly and Robbie? Well, Sly and I had a connection because Sly and Ranchy McLean who was the original Robbie before Robbie Shakespeare, right? There was a band uh, on Reddish Road, there was a club called Tit for Tat. They had turned mm -hmm. it down the road and Tit for Tat up the road. Same Reddish Road. Now, Al Brown, that song, Here I Am, Baby, right? They, they had, so I usually teeth out of my yard as a youth and go for Tit for Tat, go listen live music with Sly them. Right, so um, somehow I had met Sly, and so you know, but over the years, we always had a, a vibe, and Sly and I would always be talking about music and I talk about Motown, and you know, so we usually talk about three songs. Me and Sly, Twist and Shout, It's in Her Kiss, and Mockingbird. Hmm. So I remember now. There was a guy in, in London called Erskine Thompson, who usually managed Maxi Priest. Erskine then started to manage Sliden. Then one day, Erskine Thompson was in Jamaica and he sent for me to have a meeting with him down at Pegasus and he said to me, said, Jack Reddix, you know that you're the Jamaican artist with the most international potential. I want to work with you. So I remember saying to him, said, well, we're not signing nothing, you know, generate something worth signing and then we can talk about signing. Good. All right. So then he took me to New York to do a photo shoot. So we could, that's my first professional photo shoot, you know, professional um, eight by 10, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I remember I had met a guy, a Japanese man named Shingo Shugiyama, <laughs> <laughs> who was um, 
the president of a company called VAP. Anyway, long story short. Erskine said to me, to meet him in the lobby for breakfast. So he, on one particular morning, I was in the elevator going down to the lobby to have breakfast with Mr. Thompson and the lift stopped on our floor and the door opened, my only thing entered the elevator, slide down bar. Hmm. When the elevator lock muscle, you know the speaker in the elevator, <laughs> to the speaker we only hear, so anyway, we transact with business and about 10 years later, I was still in New York and Erskine called me and said, Radix, so I said, anything where you had to drop it and come home? No. So that's what I did. Now my car was parked at Norman Manley Airport, so I jumped in my car and I drive, go straight to Mixing Lab. When I reach a Mixing Lab, I said, wait, ready to come? So I said, where well, the truth? I said, they're on the machine. And come listen. So I remember saying, no, but it's wrong, yes, sir. So I went straight to the voice booth instead of going to the control. And we kicked that like a 35 yard free kick, wrong the wall. So I remember, I said, boy, I bought it, feel good. Give me a try, I could take it. Remember, rubbish for Shakespeare, I said, I could take it. Leave this studio. <laughs> Leave this studio. When we go in the vice room, the man pop up and sit down and knock it down from the mixing board and say, You know, you ever say leave this studio? <laughs> the man then refused to give me another track, must know. To this day, me not sing that song there yet because I measure me and measure it up. But, you know, yeah, first cut of the deepest, as them say. So, and yeah. So that was Tristan show. Now, Anthony Red Rose, who mm -hmm. don't get no mention or credit in this book, it was Anthony Red Rose, guy Red Rose, I'm a friend. Red Rose was the one that said, why, if we ever put a DJ upon this, they were dead. We actually tried five DJs. No, I'm not going to call on here. <laughs> <laughs> but a five, because what happened was me and Red Rose write the DJ lyrics, and I ended up Sketching it out upon the tape. So one night time, Sly, I said, Boy, ready to come like, I you go sing on DJ the tune, man. Mm -hmm. Now make one more call. So Sly call, Chaka Demos. Yes, if I'm Chaka Demos, go around the mic and say, Free! This tune, they mash up, you know, say, Yes, hear the man. So Sly send the song to England, to Ireland, and them hear it and them say, Why? So I'm coming the next day and said, boy, I read it, the man I'm loving now, but they must say, we have to put players on it. Somebody said, they want to take me off him. I said, no. But they must say, we have to put players on it because at the time, Tease Me was like number three in London and they must say, they don't want it to look like the group of Marshall Pinham. So actually, what players got was Gixi Solo up to, up to him, Grave Gixi Vex. <laughs> <laughs> them sequence to him. So in that song, Chakadim was actually DJ, 40 bar, players have 8 bar, 4 bar up next to him, 4 bar down next to him, and the rest of the song is me, basically. So, then now, that's what happened, then we put on players, and yeah, wow, the song actually got number one for my birthday, because my birthday is New Year's Eve, so I remember. Erskine, thanks for calling me and saying to me, happy birthday already, it's your number one. And I'm like, well, all right. So, yeah. Was, okay, so then it was originally you you and Sly came together, came up with this concept, and then you guys added Chakademus Empire. But if you even look at it from like a global part, it almost seems like from the outside looking in, you have like the smallest part in the song, even though you're the one that helped create the song in the first place. Well, because Island Records with Demos and Plaid was signed to, they had offered me a deal, but I, I, I didn't want to take it because, you know, them don't give people no justice, man, so I never want, you know. So they tried to downplay me because even the artwork, we had to return the artwork so many times because you could have barely make out my name. <laughs> You know, but yeah, that's just the politics of the business. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, because as, as, as I said, 
Check out the song, Chakadimo's DJ, Fatty Barring and the song, Player's DJ, 8 Barring and song, in our song, which is a 160 odd bar song. So, you know, mm-hmm. my song. But the, as I said, the record company don't play me because I wasn't interested in doing a business with them. And so, yeah. Okay, so it was engineered. It didn't just look that way from the outside looking in. It was engineered that way. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Got you. So then this is a song here now that completely changed everything. You guys got into the Guinness Book of World Records for this because you guys sold, I think it was 1.8 million copies in like the first two weeks. Yes, man, because actually the song should have been number one for the Christmas, but um, them said they didn't want a white Christmas. <laughs> so... So um, it was the Christmas number one was actually take a, a group named Take That, some a boy group um, named Take That. They were actually the Christmas number one, and we were number one the week after. So yeah, that. So then it got you into there. So then now, what did this do for your career and even everybody's career at this time here? Now, what was the next move after this song came out that was so powerful? Well, we did a world tour. Uh, we actually um. We toured with UB40 on their Promises and Lies tours. We were the opening act. You know, um, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia. I mean, Madonna Passport. I mean, no paid, no left for stamping at that brown still <laughs> Yeah. And um, the record company. You know, the thing, all right, two things happened was, I eventually got a deal with Sony in Germany. But um, what I'm with that, Chakademus and Pliers then, you know, the thing is, muscle, everybody have a Bob Marley dream and would love to be the next Bob Marley. But you know how much people not even aware of how much work it takes, you know how much work Bob Marley do. Mm-hmm. You know, man, man, three weeks from home, a man start bossing. <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of the, the promotion was um, neglected. And so, you know, even even America, Tissan Show never got released in America for that exact reason because they couldn't rely upon Demos and Prior them to do the promotion. Me, me conduct 85% of the interview by myself. Mm-hmm. On that thing there. And of the 15 that Demos and Plyer that 10, then I said, so Mr. Plyer, where did I think Mr. Reddick's going to So Mr. Demos, where did I think Mr. Reddick? <laughs> yeah, you know, but it is what it is, right? But, um, you know, the thing is, I remember when I got my first deal with Island Records in 1985, when I went into the, the, the Island office in London, there was a wall, a big wall, mostly. a big, big white wall, and on it was a coconut tree, which is the mango logo. Yeah? And it said, if you don't promote, a terrible thing happens. Right? It comes down the wall, and the terrible thing, you have to go near, near, near to see where, where it said, nothing, if you don't promote, nothing happens. Hmm. And this is so true. You know, you have to promote now. Um, certain artists, them figures say every time them go on a plane, every time them go somewhere, they must get money. You know, you don't get paid for promotion. You're promoting so you can get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is the thing. Um, a lot of us are in the music business, but we don't know nothing about the business of music. And you know, this is so sad that there is no no school, no nowhere where we we the practitioners learn this. You know. And I always say, you know, look how well Jamaica do at Miss World and Miss Universe and blah. Because after the girls get selected, them get sent to um, have some training in deportment and speech and blah. Learn how to conduct an and learn how to use knife and fork. We, we don't have none of these things. So basically, we are just thrown into the deep end. And... Mm-hmm. Look how much man one interview turn over. Look how much career one interview turn over because remember say the average practitioner is a country youth or a ghetto youth. No disrespect, just reality. You know what I'm saying? So um you have management where I take 25% of artists thing and you know, then 
that you requisition the questionnaire from the journalists. See what they're going to ask the artist. You want to sit down and prep it, for instance. You know? So um, this is a sad reality of, of, the, of the business. And, you know, um, I, I have an entity called Sound Faculty, which is mm -hmm. in sound, in the faculty of sound. So, you know, this is what I would like to give back. You know, um, I'd like to, to share um, all of the knowledge that I have garnered over the decades, you know, about the business of music, because we're so badly needed, because even up to today, the same thing prevailed. It's an industry. It's a lot better now because of the internet. But before, where you were just relying on somebody to come back and tell you something, they wouldn't necessarily tell you anything. Or if they tell you something, it wouldn't necessarily be the right thing that they're telling you because it's not benefiting them also. I remember I had a lawyer back in the UK in the early 90s, in the CMT stand show time, because I ended up um having to get a lawyer to try and get some justice out of the same distance show and my lawyer up to this day my lawyer think i'm a madman because they wanted me to litigate and i'm saying I don't want to litigate because i don't want mr blackwell money you know mm -hmm. just get me some justice for my work with me do you know what i'm saying but i remember my lawyer saying to me he said radix this is a need to know business you know? if we don't think you need to know we're not telling you so the bonus is on you the need to know mm -hmm. so yeah Wow, what a, you know, a hell of a game. It's a hell of a game in the most. It's a hell of a game. You know, a lot of people see it and think it's an enviable scenario. And, you know, I guess to some degree it could be. But, um, whoa, it's not pretty. <laughs> I mean, and it's put right back to me because this happened to Jimi Hendrix. You know, this happened to. You name it, you know, it crossed the board. It's it, it not a black thing or a white thing or a, you know, it's it just artists in general, you know. I, art is is that is the love business. And, but the business of art is not lovely. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people understand. There's a clear separation between being an artist and being an artist that's in the business. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. Even around the same time there when you did um Twist and Show, you did another song that was basically in the same vein, Steely. Um Sly and Robbie they produced this one also. It's called In Her Kiss with Gwen Dickey and Red Dragon. How did you come up with that one there then? Well, like I was said, like I said to you earlier, Sly and I used to talk about three songs. Mm -hmm. Twist and Show it's in her kiss and Mockingbird. So um actually it's in her kiss was supposed to be the follow-up of Chakadimus and Playa and them doing something with me for my album. At the point when we were ready for the record, um, Island Records, said them no one, Chakadimus, them are the no covers and sad drops your card. So we ended up with um, Red Dragon and Gwen Dickey, which was um, like, wow, as far as I was concerned. And so, yeah, that was on my Sony album. Because I, I, like I said, you know, Tista showed I got that deal with Sony in Frankfurt. But then um, the politics was that at the time when that was supposed to be released was Diana King, um, Shy Guy, Shaba Maxi, Michael Jackson history. You know, so we basically get blown out of the water with all of them big ones that were from America because we were signed to Germany. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then that was when you were, how many albums did you do on Sony? Um, one. Mm -hmm. um, it was supposed to be two, but basically it was one. You're doing your stuff there. So talking about Germany, another major connection that you had in Germany was Gentlemen. How did you connect with Gentlemen? That, how did all of that happen there? Well, um, I my publisher... Oh, was Munich based. He called me and said to me, Radix, there is um, like a reggae fraternity in Cologne, Germany. And they heard here that you're there and they would like to meet with you. So I said, okay, no problem. So I met with them. And out of that, within, within that camp was gentlemen. And so um, 
we had a nice little vibration and um, I was doing my, at the time I was signed to EMI and I was doing my EMI album and I, and I liked the way, you know, Gentleman sold it. So I did a, a duet with him for my EMI album, which was called Too Bad. And so then he subsequently got a deal with, with Sony and um, wanted me to work with him. So I remember his first two albums, I did three, four songs, you know. And I remember on his third album, he said to me, Boy, Mr. Reddick, I hear a song, them, the people, them love it. I mean, why you don't know two or three songs? And why you don't know the whole album? <laughs> and so that was his album called Confidence. And mm -hmm. so that was his first actual gold album. And yeah, the rest is our story. Mm -hmm. Because I know you worked on that album, you worked on the other two albums also. It was really for them that you worked on. I worked Another in you guys did you guys work for about eight to ten years you guys were working for? Absolutely. You know, that's on the money there. Mm -hmm. And how was that whole journey in now? This is another chapter for you now where you're more penning for another artist because you're usually penning for yourself or doing covers. How was that now penning for somebody and even somebody that's almost from another country that speaks another language, but this is what they love also. How was that experience for you? It was almost, it was, um, it was actually a wonderful experience um, mostly because here what, here what gentleman afforded me. Mm -hmm. Songs that I couldn't write for myself or I wouldn't because of the way the machine is, is structured, it wouldn't be accepted, you know. They wouldn't take it from me, but they take it from gentlemen. Mm. So, yeah, for me, it was like, wow, you know, I I had a chance to, to um, how shall I say, you know, to see things from a distance, you know, and yeah, it was, I actually quite enjoyed it, you know, it was, it was enjoyable because you know I'm a star, and so I I got a chance you now to to be a star maker. Mm. You know, so that was like wow. Because you know, um, I remember I, I went on tour with him. I would go on tour with him sometimes, and you know, when he turned around and he see me back there, I said, "Pam, pam," you know, you, you see all uh, the most of them, and I neck back a, a twitch, you know. <laughs> I come here and say, "Yes, give it to them, man." Yeah, so. Yeah, it was a nice experience, I think. Because you guys won. You did um a lot of sales. That was, um, some of them were gold sales and some were also platinum at that time too. And um, the project did really well, yeah. Really well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then what was, after you did all this stuff with Gentlemen, you did a lot of great stuff with him. What was your next moves now as you as an individual, as an artist? What were your next moves? Well, um, which is what I'm doing now. I'm 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 just doing radics. Um, um, I I'm still putting out stuff. Um, I did the Watershed, which is an album, which is um a sound faculty production, which um of totally original material, which spawned the genre R and P. Because I was just tired of the same old, same old, you know, and I just wanted to do wanted to do me. So mm -hmm. I basically just been doing me. Because I think on the watershed, that was the one that had the music video where the girls, I think it was four or five girls you were talking to in the club and they kept leaving you for a different man all the time. You couldn't get hold of them. Make you mine, correct. Make <laughs> you mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a funny one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you even come up with the concept for that video and everything there? Well, um, it, it, I, I'd have to give my manager credit on that one because I just showed up for the shoot, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but yeah, but, um, Make You Mine actually was on my EMI album, which had spawned a single, No Matter. <laughs> and I, I actually re-released it on my song faculty thing in America. So, yeah, because I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that song, No Matter. Of course, it has uh, visuals also. You have a music video for it. Yeah, yeah, we shot in Havana. So, um, you know, that was a good one because yeah, that, that, that is where R&P started. Mm -hmm. 
because with that, you have two versions of that. You did two visuals for that song there, one yeah. with another group and one by yourself. Of the song, yeah. So we did a different video for that. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to shoot it in Havana at that time there? Well, actually, it was the it was the producer of the video that, that made that decision because I actually had wanted to shoot it in South Africa. Okay. Because that song was... I made with South Africa in mind, but um, he had a better economic situation in Havana, so he basically conned me <laughs> and told me that, that um, you know, the light was pouring. So, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was a nice experience. Havana was a nice experience, still. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was a big one, especially as you said. This was not your regular reggae type of vibe. This was a totally different vibe, and, and it did amazing at that time there too. Oh yeah, um, No Matter is my most successful individual work in terms of chat, you know, action and all of that, which um, for me is nice because, you know, like I say, I make music, you know, I always say to people, refer to me as a Jamaican artist, but don't necessarily refer to me as a reggae artist because I make all kind of music, you know, not just reggae, you know, and while I would never turn my back on reggae or disrespect reggae or anything because reggae is my bloodline, is my foundation. At the same time, you know, um, I like to think that I am, I am more than that. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying mostly? So, yeah, I, I'm also, call me, refer to me as a Jamaican artist. I'm, you know, in a Jamaica, what's the matter? Out of many, one. So we make, we do many things and, we, and there's still one thing. Okay, so then even that's a good thing you brought up. Out of Jamaica, there's many as one. When did your looks actually work for you instead of against you? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> um, well, actually, out in other world, out out in the world, out in out in the world, it, it works. You know, um, I would from time to time I get, you know, um. Comments like, oh, are you sure you're Jamaican, right? So it's so good to meet a Jamaican we can have a conversation with. And, mm -hmm. you know, while, you know, that's very flattering, it's also very disheartening because I'm saying, you know, look at the perception of my nation. Do you know what I'm saying? And and, and my fraternity, do you know? But, um, yeah. Anyway, I am, I have a new single coming out, which is called Pushing Love. And, and that's what we do because the, the, the essence of music is to is to push love, yeah. So that's what's going on. It's pushing love, and it's a sound faculty production, and it'll be out very first thing in the new year. And um, entertainment report shall have it. All right. And what I like with that song, because I got a sneak peek of it, I love the bass and it. it's like you brought back the bass back into music. It sounds like a real rounded song. Like, okay, I see where, where Mr. Radix is going with this. Absolutely, man. Because, you know, um, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And, you know, um, if you're going to do something, do it. Mm -hmm. that, that, is my, that is me. That's my philosophy. So, now do it. Yeah. Last question I got for you here. You've had this career from in the 70s until 2021. When would you say have been the highest point in your career? And when has been the lowest point in your career thus far? Well, the lowest point was the 80s and the, the highest point would have been the 90s. You know, the 90s. Um, you know, there is, it took a little lull at the, the turn of the millennium, but um, a lot of things did. But, you know, we... We we back up. We, everything is coming back on stream, and it's all good. And I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the new millennium for as long as I breathe. You understand? If they want to check you out on social media, they want to stream your songs. I'm pretty sure if you do dub plates and all this, where could they check you out? Jackradixmusic.com, um, where you find everything radical from. So yeah, jackradicsmusic.com and yeah, stay tuned because you know there's a lot of uh, uh, music to come. We're gonna see you in 2022, and again, I'm gonna tell you in advance, happy birthday when it comes because I know we're a couple of days out from your birthday. You understand? 
Thank you, brother. And, um, you know, I've not been to Canada since 1993. So as, as the pandemic is over and we can get back to playing music, I want to be there because I remember having some good times in Canada. Definitely. I'd look forward to and I'd love to sit down with you in the studio where I am and have a great conversation because there's so much in your mind that we'll definitely love to hear. We can definitely do that. We just need to coordinate it. So yeah. I know um, I need to overcome also. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you understand, Mr. Radix's conversation has been so epic. If there's anybody you want to big up, anything you want to say, the floor is yours before I get you out of here. Um, big up Tanya Mullins, my friend in, in, in Canada. <laughs> and um, big up who for big up, I'm Bono with who for Bono. That's how I'm a cancer. And um, Joe Isaacs, I'm a next friend in Canada. Big up Joe Isaacs. And um, yeah, just, you know, let your arise and eat and scatter. What else can I say? For sure. Big up, Miss Knight, your management for making this happen. Thank you so very much. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here. All right. Excellent. All right. Big up, Miss well, <laughs> you understand well ladies and gentlemen this is muscle and this has been another two line music huts entertainment report podcast and we are out this podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com <laughs>